Will you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the time that we have to be gathered here today. I I pray, God, that you would meet with us uh, as I proclaim your word, that it would truly be of you, that your spirit would, would take the words that I say and would make them effective in our hearts and in our minds. Father, I pray that, that you would be glorified in all that we do here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, my dad's name is Bill Lawrence, but he hasn't always been named Bill Lawrence. When he was born, he was given the name Douglas Rice. My dad was born in 1938 to an unwed mother named Martha. He doesn't really know who his, his dad was, very little information about, about his dad's side of the family. He doesn't really know a whole lot about the first few years of his life. The first about three years of his life are very vague in his mind. It appears that he was sometimes with his mom, sometimes with other family members, you know, bouncing around between Philadelphia and Atlantic City. But there's not a whole lot that is really certain about what was going on for the first few years of his life. But when he was four years old, he was taken to live in the home of a woman named Mother Keeler. Mother Keeler was an English woman who had immigrated from Britain to Philadelphia, and she was with the Salvation Army. And part of her ministry with the Salvation Army was to have this home where she took care of people who were on the margins of society, including this little boy named Douglas Rice. He lived with Mother Keeler for a period of time. He has some memories of being with her. One of the memories is that this was during World War II. And Mother Keeler told my dad that if he didn't eat his lima beans, the Nazis would come and get him. <laughs> no, it's like, it's, it's cruel, but it's effective. My dad always, always, always ate his lima beans. He lived there for a while with Mother Keeler. And then one day, a young couple pulled up at Mother Keeler's home. Their names were Bill and Mildred Lawrence. They got out of the car. They went into the home. They took little Douglas Rice. They put him in their car. They took him to their home. And they made him their son. And in that process, they changed his name from Douglas Rice to Bill Lawrence. He was no longer Douglas Rice. That birth certificate that he had with that name was folded up, sealed up, stashed somewhere deep in the files of City Hall in Philadelphia, and it ceased to have meaning. That adoption changed my dad's identity. He was no longer an orphan. He was no longer bouncing around from one house to another house, from one place to another place. He was no longer homeless. He was no longer rootless. Now he was Bill Lawrence. His identity changed, and that changed everything. It changed his life changed my life. It changed 
everything. Over the past couple of months, we've been in this series called Dear Suburban Church. And in this series, we've been exploring the letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Next week, Pastor Chris is going to finish up the series from 1 Corinthians 13, that amazing passage where Paul reflects on the nature of God's love and how that love is to impact us in our lives. Today, what we're doing is looking to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 to do kind of a, a summary of the letter. This is a wide-ranging letter. We have covered a lot of ground as we've been working through 1 Corinthians. We've gone to lots of different places in this letter. And as Chris and I were talking about what this sermon would be, and I said, I'm not doing anything controversial. I'm not doing anything about sex or gender or anything like that. He just said, what if we did just kind of a summary of the letter, just to make sure that as we are coming to a close with this series, that we're capturing the big picture, that we're capturing the themes. It's easy to kind of lose track in all of the different things that we've done on what Paul is really about in this letter. We've seen Paul do a lot of scolding of the Corinthians. We've seen Paul do a lot of confronting of the Corinthians. We've seen him do a lot of commanding of the Corinthians. And I think there's a real danger that we can read the letter as just kind of a series of moral injunctions, right? Paul just kind of beating up the Corinthians with moral command after moral command after moral command. And we can get the idea that what 1 Corinthians is about is just kind of a series of moral commands. And I'm concerned that if we think that's the case, that we will miss the real beating heart of the letter of Paul to the Corinthians. If we think it's just a list of moral behaviors, we won't have caught the deep purpose of this letter. So today, I want to be sure that we understand what is at the heart of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. What is its purpose? What is the deep purpose of what Paul is doing? What motivated Paul to write this letter? What drove Paul in writing this letter? What was he wanting the outcome to be of the reading of this letter? And at its heart, I think it's right to say that what 1 Corinthians is, is a long letter to the Corinthians about who they are. Paul is telling them over and over and over again who they are. First Corinthians is about identity. And there's a place that you can write that down if you're following along. First Corinthians is about identity. Like my dad, the Corinthian church has experienced a change in their identity. And that change in identity is to change everything about them. That's what 1 Corinthians is about. It's Paul describing for them, encouraging them, challenging them, exhorting them to realize that they have had a change in their identity, and that must change everything. So Paul 
writes this letter to call the church in Corinth to a deep understanding of their new identity and to live lives that are consistent with that identity. What is that identity? What is it that Paul wants them to understand about themselves? Paul wants the Corinthians to understand you are the church. You are the church. That is your identity. That defines who you are at the deepest levels, at the most profound levels. You are the church. See, the Corinthians no longer belong to Rome, to the larger empire in which they live. They no longer belong to Corinth, the city where they dwell. They no longer belong to their family, the families that they grew up in. They no longer belong to their pagan religions. They no longer belong to the culture of the world around them. Now they belong to Jesus Christ. And belonging to Jesus Christ means they belong to each other. And belonging to each other means that everything about how they live, how they live their personal lives, how they live their lives with each other, how they treat each other, everything must change because their identity has changed. Because now they are the church. And so it is with us. We are the church. We have had the same identity change that the Corinthians had. We don't belong to America. We don't belong to suburbia. We don't belong to our culture. We belong to Jesus Christ. And that must change everything about us. That must change everything about our relationships with each other. That must change everything about how we treat each other, how we understand each other, how we live our lives together. We are called to live new lives out of the new identity that we have been given as those who belong to Christ Jesus and therefore as those who belong to his church, to the body of Christ. And so what we're going to do today is turn to 1 Corinthians 16, the final chapter in this letter. And we're going to see how Paul concludes this letter, encouraging the Corinthian church to be the church, to understand who they are and the difference that this makes in the lives that they are called to live. So we're going to begin looking at the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 16, which says this. Now, about the collection of the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have been made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, then they will accompany me. So what Paul is doing here is he's giving some final instructions to the Corinthian church. And one of the things is about this collection 
that they're being asked to take up. He's not saying to take up the collection and bring it to church every week. He's saying, take up a collection, hold it, and then when I come, and the people who come with me, we will take that money, and we're going to take it to the church in Jerusalem. What does this teach us about being the church? Paul is saying that you belong to a community that transcends your city. You don't belong to your church. You belong to the church. And because you belong to the church, you are to be understanding that you have responsibilities, not just for your own self, not just for the the people around you, but much broader. You belong to something much bigger than yourselves. You belong to something that transcends yourselves. He's asking the Corinthians to be mindful of the church in Jerusalem, people that they will never meet people that they will never have any interaction with personally, but he's wanting them to give money to the church in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem is struggling. And this instruction is calling the Corinthian church to be aware that they belong to something much bigger than themselves. One of the great joys of my life have been the opportunities that I have had to go different places in the world, to step into a church, and to worship with brothers and sisters that I've never met before, that often I've never, I don't speak the same language that they do, but to feel that oneness that we have in Christ Jesus. I think about my kids in Juarez last week. Three of my kids were down there. The group that's been there over the last couple of weeks, the connection between this church and another church from a different culture And that kind of relationship that we are called to have because we are brothers and sisters in Christ and that unity, that oneness is to mark us, not just with each other here locally, but globally. To be aware of the church and what God is doing in different places and how we might be being called to participate in that. So this collection of the Lord's people, it's not just about money and passing money on to Jerusalem. It's about identity. This is your family. These are your people. And you, through the bond that you have by the Holy Spirit, through the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to them and they belong to you. And so share what you have with them. We're going to skip down now to verses 19 and 20, where Paul says this, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And you get a a sense of, of fellowship that Paul is wanting them to understand. There are other churches and they're sending their greetings. There's a love that they have for you. Even this church that, as we've seen, has lots of challenges. The other churches haven't shunned the Corinthians, haven't turned their back on the Corinthians because of all the, the struggles that the Corinthians are going through. The other churches are rooting for the Corinthians. They're wanting to encourage the Corinthians. They're sending their greetings. They're sending their love. 
again, to, to let the Corinthian church know you belong to something much bigger than yourselves. You belong to this family that God is creating through Jesus Christ. You belong to this people, the church that God has created through his son, our Lord. You share that Lord with these other people and they love you and they send their greetings to you and they are cheering for you. They're encouraging you in your love. So again, Paul is wanting to direct them to understand you are part of the church. This is who you are. This is who you belong to. Then in verses 13 and 14, Paul gives five final words of encouragement to the Corinthians. I just want to walk through each of these phrases, these five different phrases, and and reflect upon each one and and what it means for the Corinthian church and, and what it means for us. Verse 13, he says, Be on your guard. Be on your guard. On your guard against what? What what is he encouraging them to be on their guard against? I think what Paul is saying here is if you're going to be the church, if you're going to live out your identity as the people of God, you have to be on your guard against anything that will take you away from your full allegiance to Jesus Christ. We've seen this throughout the letter. So much of what Paul has been saying to the Corinthians, so much of the challenge, so much of the encouragement, so much of the exhortation has been about things that are taking them away from Jesus, taking them away from their identity in Christ. You must be on your guard against the temptations to allow the culture around you to capture your hearts. You must be on your guard against the temptation to judge one another. You must be on your guard against division, the division that has so messed up the church at Corinth. You must be on your guard against sexual immorality, these things that tear you apart, that tear apart your fellowship with one another. See, throughout the letter, Paul has been calling the Corinthians to center their lives on the cross of Jesus Christ. It goes back to the very beginning of the letter when Paul talks about the foolishness of Christ. He wants them to embrace the foolishness of Christ. Following after Jesus doesn't make sense to the world around them. There's so many different things that's trying to pull them away from their allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's trying to pull them away from being committed to Jesus Christ. That's trying to take them away from this core fundamental identity. Paul is saying, be on your guard. Be vigilant. Not to continue these patterns that have been so devastating to your common life together. That have been so devastating to your witness of Jesus Christ. Pay attention to your lives. Pay attention to how you are engaging with one another. Be on your guard. And then the next word that he gives them is stand firm in the faith. Paul wants them to remember the gospel the gospel that he has given to them, 
the gospel that we saw that, that Jason talked about in his sermon from last week in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he appeared to the witnesses, that he is their Lord, that he is their Savior. This is the faith that their whole life must be centered upon because this is the faith that gives them this new identity in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is the center of our faith. It's what separates Jesus from all the others. Jesus is not a moral teacher. Jesus is not kind of in a line of philosophers, of moral philosophers. Jesus is the son of God. Everything depends upon that. Everything depends upon that confession. What we confess when we say that Jesus was died and buried and rose again is that we are confessing that Jesus is the son of God. The one who comes into our lives and when he comes into our lives, he claims our lives. He makes us his and in making us his, he puts us into this community, the church where we belong together in a shared faith, a shared confession that Jesus is the Lord. You were buried with him. You were raised with him. We together are the body of Christ, where Christ is present in the world today. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, this must be what you hold on to. With everything that's going to try to pull you away from that, everything that's going to try to get you to compromise that, hold to the faith. Stand firm. Don't give it up for the shiny objects of this world. Don't loosen your grip on the faith for the promises of this world. Stand firm in the faith. He then goes on and says, be courageous. Be courageous. It takes courage to be the church. It is not for the faint of heart to be the church. If we really understand what it means to be the church, it's not about hanging out together for an hour on Sundays. It's not about a place where we can just kind of meet new people. When we understand what it means to be the church, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in this world, it takes courage. For Paul, it meant persecution. It meant getting beaten. It meant getting whipped. For many of the other apostles, it meant death. It meant being put to death for their witness. I don't know what it'll mean for you. I don't know exactly what it will mean for me, but it is a challenge. We must courageously follow Jesus. It will cost us something. It does cost us something. We're called to count the cost when we come to follow Jesus Christ because we're called to lay down our lives and give our lives over to him. It will cost us something, but it is good because in Jesus, there is life. In Jesus, there is truth. And we have found this truth. We are to courageously cling to this truth. His fourth word to the Corinthians, be strong. Be strong. We have this phrase 
Sometimes you, you might hear it talking about people where we say, that person's a strong Christian, right? I don't like that phrase. The people that I have met who are closest to Jesus will tell you that they are not strong Christians. They will tell you that they are weak Christians who have found strength in Jesus Christ. And I think we have to be careful when we say here, be strong. Because what the Bible tells us is that the weaker we are, when we recognize our weakness, then we find strength. That's when we find the strength that only God can give us. When when Paul says, be strong, he's not saying, you have to muster up this strength. He is saying, you must rely upon the strength that you can find only in Jesus Christ. This isn't yours, your strength that you're relying upon. This is Jesus Christ's strength that you find only when you recognize just how weak you are. Just how needy you are just how desperate you are for the grace of God. And when that grace comes into our life, then we find a strength that we could never find in ourselves. We could never create for ourselves. And then the fifth word that Paul gives, do everything in love. What does it say? Do what in love? Do everything in love. Not do in love when you agree politically with a person. Not do in love when you watch the same news channel. Not do in love when you have a particular affinity with a person that you happen to like. Do everything in love. Everything. That is what is to mark our lives fundamentally as the people of God, that we do everything in love. Again, it's not a love that we can create ourselves. It's not a love that that we produce. It's the love of Christ that comes into us as we dwell with him and as we dwell with each other. And we start to see that the, the, the ways that we judge people start to recede. The, the markers that the world used to identify who belongs to who and, and, and who belongs to what and how we navigate different people, all that starts to fade away. And what we are called to do is simply love each other. In all of our unlovability, we are to love each other in everything. Do everything in love. This series is called Dear Suburban Church. And I think it's important for us to recognize something that we've been kind of hinting at throughout the series, talking about throughout the series, but I I just want to kind of say it and get it out there as we are bringing the series to the the close over these next couple weeks. Being the suburban church makes it difficult to be the church. Being the suburban church makes it difficult to be the church. Now, this doesn't mean that if we all just moved out of the suburbs, then it would be easy to be the church. It wasn't easy for the Corinthians. It hasn't been easy for the church over all of its history. It's hard to be the church. So there's not a magic formula that just if we didn't live in suburban America, then we could be 
the church. It's hard to be the rural church. It's hard to be the urban church. It's hard to be the suburban church. But I think it's important that we identify what makes it particularly hard for us to live out of our identity of the church, to live out these words that Paul is calling us to live out. What we have to do is to recognize that suburban America wants to form our identity in particular ways. It tells us that we are to be about certain things. It tells us that we should give our lives to certain things. The suburban vision of life and the suburban values call us to be a particular kind of people, to be formed in a particular way. And that vision is in contrast to Paul's vision. Paul's call for us to be the church, to live out our identity as the church, will put us in conflict with being the suburban church. And I think it's important for us to recognize that and to identify how that plays out. So as I conclude our time together, I just want to point to a couple of different ways that the vision of suburbia contrasts with Paul's vision of the church in ways that we're going to have to be intentional about recognizing and pushing against if we are to continue to grow in being the church that God has called ECC to be. So how does this play out? Well, the first thing I would say is it plays out in individualism. Suburbia calls us to individualism, right? Suburbia kind of calls us to live in our houses and isolated from other people, to hop in our cars, to drive to our work, to drive to Target, to go out to dinner, maybe to meet somebody and to come home and kind of do that rinse and repeat every day. Get in your house, out of your house, into your car, to your workplace, back home, just doing that over and over and over again. Suburbia defines us as individuals. It defines our life in the world as that of individuals pursuing our own self-determined ends. It wants us to define the world from within ourselves and for ourselves. It wants us to be about our own purposes. What Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, what Paul is saying to us is that cannot be our life as the church. We are not to be defined primarily as individuals. Yes, we are individuals, but we're individuals who've been brought into a community. And being in that community changes us, changes everything, and shapes our identity. Being the church calls us to lay down our lives for each other. Not to live self-contained lives in which I pursue my own ends, but to lay down my life for you. In obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life for me and for you and who brought us together in this community, the church. So suburbia wants us to be individuals. The gospel wants us to understand that we belong to this community and that changes our identity. The second thing is that suburbia calls us to define success in particular ways. Suburbia calls us to get on the ladder of success. It it calls us to achieve the American suburban dream. It calls us to pursue the things of that dream, career, income, all the markers of success 
as that is defined by suburban America, that we would have successful careers, that our kids would be great in youth sports with all the financial and time commitments that that demands. All the different things that we are called to give our lives to, to give our hearts to, to give our money to, to give our very being to. Paul will say to us through this letter of Corinth that the church defines success in very different ways. Being a part of the church means that we have to be centered on the cross. And the cross of Jesus Christ doesn't really line up with a suburban vision of success. Because it calls us to release our grip on these things that the world around us encourages us to hold on to tightly. And if I'm pursuing my success and you're pursuing your success, we're not able to be a community together. If we're going to be the church, living out of our identity as God's people, then we must center our life on the cross of Jesus Christ. We must lay down our lives for each other. First Corinthians is about identity. You once were one who belonged to the world. Now you belong to Jesus Christ. You once were one who belonged to Corinth. You once were one who belonged to Shoreview. Now you belong to Jesus Christ. We are the church. We belong to Jesus. And in belonging to Jesus, we belong to each other. This is our fundamental idea. It just can't, it can't just be part of our identity. It can't be a thing that we do. Being the church has to define us at the very core of our being because we have been brought into the body of Christ. And as we are those who are brought into the body of Christ, we are called to dwell together out of that identity, loving each other, serving each other, witnessing to the world around us. We don't belong to you. We belong to Christ. And through that, we witness to the world of the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought us into your community, the church. God, we thank you for this letter. It's a challenging letter. It's a difficult letter. But it's a good letter. And it calls us to understand who we are as those who belong to Christ as those who belong to the church. God, I pray for this community. I pray that we, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would be obedient to Christ, that we would center our lives on the cross, that we would lay down our lives for each other, that we would do everything in love, and that in that you would form us into your people. 
and use us for your glory in this world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.